Welcome to it. It's Husker Sports Weekly, your one-stop shop for all things Husker Sports. And we have a big show for you today. Some breaking news came out this past weekend. Bill Moose is out as Nebraska's athletic director after coming to the university in 2017. He hired Scott Frost, Fred Hoiberg, and Will Bolton a short time with the Huskers, and that short time is now over. We will also cover name, image, and likeness later in the episode with Graham Mertz being the first collegiate athlete to release his own trademarked logo prior to the July 1st deadline and how that will affect college sports moving over. We will also touch on the college football playoff expansion. We'll get your thoughts on that as well. But before we get into any of that, you should know who you're listening to. My name is Connor Clark alongside Grant Hansen. As always, you can find us on Twitter at C underscore Clark underscore 27 and at Hanson15 underscore Hanson. And today's guest is a friend of the show. You've heard him on Husker Sports Weekly a couple of times before, and he is also the man who broke the Bill Moose news. Lincoln Journal stars Parker Gabriel joins the show. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, no problem. Good to be here, guys. How you doing? Yeah, doing good. And and Parker, you know, it's interesting to me. I, I think let's just start at the beginning. Uh, let, walk us through that morning. Obviously, you broke it pretty early, uh, about 9.30 in the morning. Uh, walk us through as much in as much detail as you can uh, what that was like for you, knowing man, like I've got the story here that is going to dominate Husker news for at least the next week and certainly for the next day. Uh, uh, one person breaks the story, and it's just that's the way it is. I mean, a lot of times with us, it's it's a team effort. And certainly, it was in this case. I mean, it, it was me. It was simple. Uh, simple our columnist, Chris Dunker, our our. Um, covers the university side of things at UNL for us all uh, you know were, were integral in putting it together and it's funny I mean sometimes when something's happening especially around here you know the rumor mill is such that things get dragged out or you have an idea that maybe something's happening and you don't but you don't really know or you're not sure what the timeline is you have bits and pieces of information so on and so forth and that that's um can be really it can be annoying and it can take a long time and you you got that sort of period of time where you're like you know you don't want someone else to get it but you don't you might not even know exactly what it is or, or the details or whatever this was like pretty much exactly the opposite of that um it was really quiet there was maybe just some ripples in the water you would say like on thursday night but like honestly it, it was it went from zero to put, pushing publish on the story in uh, maybe 20 to 30 minutes on Friday morning. So it came together really fast. Right, and with news this big, I mean, there's been a lot of questions surrounding about, like, why this is happening and how is it going to affect the student-athletes and the coaches at Nebraska. And a big storyline that has been popping up everywhere is obviously – Coming into this football season, Scott Frost has got a lot of questions surrounding his future with Nebraska, and especially with how they do this season. So what kind of situation does that put Scott Frost in with Bill Moose leaving and the whole entire hiring process? Because he's got to go through all this as well. Well, yeah, it, it puts him in, I guess you would call it an uncomfortable situation. But I honestly think, guys, like a, the uncomfortable situation like, there's a simple way out of it, and that's to win games. You know, like, if they show good progress, and I mean, if they win eight games, like, then it's not uncomfortable at all. And frankly, like, I think this period of time we're in now, where you don't know who the next athletic director is going to be, is maybe, like, not the worst for, for the, you know, for a football coach, but 
the worst would be if you have another bad season and, 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 and there's more questions about, you know, if or when it's going to turn around. But the unknown right now is there's just not much you can do about it, you know, because the the task for, yeah, and maybe, maybe it'll be someone that Scott knows or has worked with in the past or is close with or that has a deep knowledge of Nebraska or whatever. But if that's not the case, you really have to sort of go back to the drawing board on selling your body of work to your boss. And that's not like, that's not that much fun to do. And it's not as easy to do when you're 12 and 20 as it would be if you were 20 and 12. And so like, it's, and it's not to say that like, he doesn't have a legitimate case to make, but it's, it's still Moose hired him and signed him to a long-term contract seven years then gave him a two-year extension in the fall of 2019 and has been resolute all along about their progress. It's coming. It hasn't showed up in the win-loss record yet, but the roster's deeper, the roster's bigger. It looks like a big 10 team. They're very much on the same page about that. And now when you have a new boss, you have every opportunity to convince your new boss of all that, but they don't necessarily show up believing that out of hand like Bill Bruce did because he'd been there every day for three years. So that part of it, like, that's just, there's no way around that being an uncomfortable transition. It just, it gets much more comfortable very quickly uh, if you win games in 2021 and you know, one of the things I always liked about Bill Moose uh, was his, from the minute he walked onto campus, I always felt like he was bound and determined to make the biggest, most aggressive, and, you know, to a certain extent, splashiest hires he could get, whether it was someone like, you know, Fred Hoiberg, who is a guy who, I mean, he's got some minor Nebraska connections, but he is, for the most for the most of his life, other than the, near the, you know, the beginning, he's kind of been an outside guy, or if it's guys like Frost and Will Bolt who already have connections here, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, Coach Hoy, you know, Bill Moose is saying, I'm going to get guys who are big time guys, and we're going to make serious hires to try to fix positions, and if they work, they work, and if they don't, they don't, and and that was one of the things I really liked in terms of his attitude when he came to campus um, back in the beginning of this whole thing, so what do you think his lasting legacy is? I mean, again, I'm happy with the three hires he made in, in the ones that stick out the most, obviously, you know, Bolt, Frost, and and Hoiberg. And so far, only one of those three has totally panned out. But, you know, what do you think his legacy is? Yeah, I think it's I think it's still to be determined, basically, at this point. I mean, and it's really going to hinge on those three guys. I mean, he hired, Bill Moose in three and a half years, hired 12 coaches in its half half of the varsity sports in Nebraska, um, you know, I think there's 20 or maybe there's 22, so more than half. So, you know, that's, um, that, that, that is, I think still be the the legacy piece is still be determined based on how Frost, Hoiberg and Bolt fair, obviously Bolt's off to the best start of the three. Um, But, you know, it's funny because I think if you look at, just zoom out and look at it from sort of the 30,000 foot view and say, he hired three coaches that everybody was, was really excited about at the time of the hire. Um, navigated through a once-in-a-century global pandemic without cutting any sports. And, you know, a lot of the, the financial foundation 
and the solid nature of the financial footing that the athletic department, you know, has at Nebraska. Like that, that foundation was put in place long before Bill was the athletic director, obviously. But you know, you, you navigated through the pandemic, you had to cut some, some jobs, and that's things, obviously. Um, but you didn't cut any sports. You got through the pandemic in pretty good shape. Um, and you broke ground on the $155 million facility project. Like, uh, to me, that sounds pretty good, you know? Um, now, you can find things to quibble with, of course, too. Um, but I think that if Frost gets it going and Hoiberg gets it going, you know, Bill Moose's popularity rating as time goes on is going to be really high among, among Nebraska fans. And uh, if they don't, I don't think you'll I, I'm not sure that you'll get to a point where, where the reviews are fully negative you know no matter what happens with those guys because there weren't a lot of people lining up at the door to say oh this isn't going to work with Scott uh, when he was hired in the same obviously in Hoiberg so um, you know I, I think there's I think some of the legacy stuff is, is still out there to be determined um, but it could end up being a really good one if those coaching moves pan out of the end Do you think that you know, his ability to work through the pandemic is maybe his most underrated uh, sector of his time here? Well, it's certainly, I mean, it's certainly the one that doesn't, I mean, it's, it's not, the record doesn't come out on the field, right? I mean, there's no way to really wrap your arms around what he did or didn't do other than just talking to people. And, and you know, Bill Moose himself said, you know, he told us uh, last summer, this is the hardest he ever, he'd ever worked, you know, it's just trying to sort of shepherd the department through the pandemic. And it was rough, you know, I mean, they, they, um, they, 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 last summer, uh, actually a, a year ago, right now, you know, they eliminated 17 jobs. Uh, everybody in the department um, took a pay cut. They had, I think they furloughed maybe 50 people. Um, and, and one of the things that Bill Moose took a lot of pride in was, limiting that you know at the end of the calendar year bringing everybody back getting rid of the payroll reductions all of that stuff and he always he always took a lot of pride in what he thought was a good morale among the department now if you surveyed 350 was the morale high among every single one of them of course not it's never going to be in that sort of size organization but um he always had that sort of near the front of his mind, and I don't. I don't think you'd find a lot of people who would say, um, "Oh yeah, that wasn't a good place to work, or it wasn't a, a an, you know fulfilling place to work." And so, um, you know that that won't be all the legacy, but I think that's a piece of it, and and it's one that that you know Bill certainly took a lot of pride in was was sort of navigating through the the pandemic and trying to keep people's spirits up. We're here with Parker Gabriel on Husker Sports Weekly. Last question on the whole Bill Moose thing. Parker, for you, early on in this hiring process, do you have a list of potential hires that Nebraska could go after? Or who are the top candidates, Would, in your opinion, so far? Who, who's the best fit for the job? That's a great question. It's obviously the one that's, that's driven the conversation here over the past few days. I don't know... I don't know that there's an overwhelming favorite. There's obviously been a lot of talk about Ed Stewart, uh, who's uh, an executive that you know works for the Pac-12 Conference, played linebacker in Nebraska, was the captain of the of the '94 team. Um, you hear quite a bit about Trev Alberts, um, another former player, obviously one of the best uh, in school history. 
uh, who's the athletic director at UNO. Uh, he was not, he took his name out of the running pretty early on in 2017 after Sean Icarus was fired. Um, you know, we'll see if he's in the running this time. Um, you know, you hear a lot about Jamie Pollard from Iowa State. That'd be a big, splashy external hire. Um, I don't think you can discount Garrett Classy, who's the uh, interim athletic director, has been sort of in charge of external operations uh, for the past two years. R- really has run a lot of the day-to-day stuff in the department for Bill Moose um, since he was hired in, in July of 19. Uh, and then, you know, there's all kinds of candidates out there. Um, you could find a guy, you know, you could find there's a guy like a Mac Rhodes at Baylor, right, who um, doesn't have any obvious connection to the program. He's done a nice job. He hired, um, you know, he hired Matt Rule and then Dave Aranda. So you can, you, then you can sort of get into that realm, right, where there's all kinds of, there's all kinds of athletic directors out there who have had varying degrees of, of success and failure. Um, you know, John Cunningham at Cincinnati is a waking guy. Uh, the athletic director at the University of Cincinnati, obviously, you know, good school in, in football uh, and men's and women's basketball. So, you know, you can you can go down the list and you can squint and see the rationale for a lot of different people. Um, it has seemed so far that most of the smoke has been around people that have some con- deeper connections to the program or maybe are even around the program currently. But I don't, I mean, part of that's just because that's what people gossip about, you know. So I, I don't, I haven't gotten any really clear indications um, about whether someone should really be considered a strong favorite now at this point. All right, well, we'll move on to our next subject. It'll be interesting to see how that pans out, who will be the new athletic director of Nebraska Athletics. But coming up on July 1st, which is when this episode is airing, Name, image, and likeness will go into effect for the NCAA. We saw on Twitter the other day, quarterback for Wisconsin, Graham Mertz. He uploaded a video, and it was his own trademarked logo, which is the first collegiate athlete to have a trademarked logo uh, prior to July 1st. So just to kick it off with you, Parker, how do you think this will affect the NCAA? Will it be good? Will it be bad? And how will it affect the Nebraska program specifically? Yeah, well, I think, you know, Nebraska is really confident that that NIL, you know, coming online here this week is going to be good for them overall as an athletic department. It's it's pretty clear why. It's because Nebraska athletics is the big dog in the state. You know, you're not you're not competing uh, with the Dallas Cowboys. You know, you're not competing uh, with the Chicago Bulls and the Blackhawks and the Bears. You know, it's um, you are this is the big show in Nebraska. And so there's going to be opportunities um, for for athletes to find all kinds of, of deals. And I think it's just sometimes you hear like, well, even a, a, you know, a kid playing at UCLA, like, yeah, UCLA, like there's a lot, the Lakers are a lot bigger in LA than UCLA is, but it's Los Angeles. There's plenty of corporate opportunities. That's probably true to some degree. I think there's plenty of local businesses around here, Lincoln and Omaha, that are going to be interested in partnering with Nebraska players. But the bigger part of that, guys, is I think that a, a, a big share of the revenue, and only time will tell how, how big of a slice of the pie, but I think a lot of this is going to be based on social media. It's going to be based on kids having sponsored Instagram posts or going on Cameo. Like, you guys know about Cameo? Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, like... 
there are a lot of Nebraska fans out there all around the country who I'm sure would throw 20 bucks at Adrian Martinez or maybe 100 bucks at Adrian Martinez on Cameo for him to wish little Tommy a happy sixth birthday, you know, that, that sort of thing. And so, like, those are the areas where I just think Nebraska players, Nebraska athletes, not just Adrian Martinez, it's, you know, Max Anderson and Spencer Schwellenbach, and it's, uh, you know, Lexi Sun and, and you know, it's, it's anyone you can think of. It's the bowling team after a national champion, not on the same scale as Adrian Martinez, maybe, but there's all kinds of athletes who are going to find a niche market where they can have direct access to fans who can pay for a service, you know? Like, you could start a Patreon and have a subscription uh, that for $10 a month, you get, the, like, a, a post-game rundown from someone on the soccer team or something like that. You know, like, there's, there's ways to tap into revenue and, and directly into the fan base for revenue that I just think you'll see kids get creative with. That market is different here than it is in a lot of places. I just, I, I really believe that. And so I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but I think it's going to be really interesting to watch it unfold, not just on July 1st, but, you know, over the coming months. And to kind of tie the two subjects together, do you think the new athletic director at Nebraska uh, or just athletic directors in the future have to be kind of hands-on with this at all? Is there some ways that they have to facilitate uh, or keep things from going in a bad direction or, or what, you know, what kind of role do you think uh, athletic directors and administrations have involved in this? Or is it totally separate where the athletes don't really have to honor any of those? Yeah. Well, you know, that's a question that about every student athlete and every administrator in the country has. And the answer is that right now there's pretty much no rules. I mean, and that's, that's, that's a little, it's just weird. I mean, there's no federal legislation. Congress didn't, take it up because the NCAA wanted, you know, pretty robust antitrust protection to go along with federal legislation. And Congress was like, yeah, uh, no. Uh, and so there's state laws, but like I was talking to a guy who runs an association, you know, they lobby on behalf of athletic directors in schools. And he was like, okay, Nebraska has a state law. That's great. They have a state law, which framework on what's allowed for NIL. Who's going to enforce it? Like is the attorney general, going to put the hammer down on Nebraska if they're not following the letter of the law? Like, are they going to come after student-athletes? Like, probably not. They don't have the manpower to, you know, even enforce rules that are in place. And so, and then the NCAA pretty much was like, all right, schools, this week what the NCAA said was, okay, schools, you figure it out. Set your own rules. And so for the last year or so, my understanding has been essentially – it's got to stay separate, you know. Schools can provide resources and training, and they can, um, you know, have classes and teach you about entrepreneurship or how to set up an LLC or, you know, this sort of stuff. But they're, they weren't going to be involved in the deal-making process. Well, that line of thinking is a little bit out the window because there's just – there's not really much in the way of unified rules in place. And so I talked to Garrett Classy today, uh, earlier today, Wednesday morning, um, about this. And he basically was like, 
we're going to start aggressive. We're going to start aggressive and we're going to start out by saying that we can have some involvement in just helping our kids understand what a good deal looks like, what a good deal doesn't look like, who might be a reputable marketing agent versus somebody that, that maybe there's questions about and helping vet. Um, and in that regard, they're basically like, we're going to do that. And then if someone tells us that that's against the rules or the NCAA passes updated rules, we'll, you know, we'll of course follow those, but their, their plan is to just basically be as aggressive as possible in terms of what they, you know, are allowed to do uh, to help student athletes until someone tells them they can't do it. Right. And as you mentioned earlier, that, Nebraska is the only show in town in the state. You mentioned big markets such as Dallas, Chicago, wherever you go, L.A. The name, image, and likeness, it's going to be a huge thing for Nebraska athletes, no matter what sport they play, as you mentioned, whether it's volleyball, baseball, basketball, football, even bowling. So segueing kind of into recruiting, how can that appeal to recruits say, hey, you're not going to get this type of attention anywhere else. So how can Frost, Bolt, Hoiberg, Cook, how could they use that to their advantage? Well, just, I mean, by by showing, like, look, not only do you have an opportunity to get a good education and, and play in the Big Ten, you know, and Cook, Cook can obviously say right now, play for a championship caliber organization, but you're going to have, you know, the, the same way that you, you know, you, you've pitched the passionate fan base forever at Nebraska. Now you're pitching the passionate fan base that can directly translate into dollars in your pocket, you know? And so that's a, I, I will, I don't think it's going far out on a limb to say, you know, they'll, they'll be saying, we don't know this stuff yet. We don't know what the numbers will look like, but you can guarantee John Cook will be going into living groups and saying every single member of our team has at least this many deals if they want them at every you know, 95% of the football team has found at least somebody who's willing to partner with them and pay them for something, you know, our, um, you know, at the quarterback at Nebraska has had an average deal volume that looks like this. Like that's just going to become obviously that you have to build the base of all that data as we go on here beyond July one, but that's going to become part of the, that's going to become part of the lexicon of recruiting, uh, not just in Nebraska, but all across college sports. You know, I don't think any of us really know how far this is going to go or where it's going to end up. You know, Open Doors, obviously, is the name everybody knows. A lot of people know, at least in Nebraska, is a group that's done a lot of great job of getting the groundwork set to, to really bring uh, nil to its fullest, you know. Uh, but even they, I think, and it's not because of lack of planning, because they've done a great job with that. But it's just so wide. This whole uh, area is so uncharted that you know, even they don't. I don't even think really know where this could lead in the future. And it, it's a really, really interesting um, sector. And what would you say? I think you know that would be the most outside the box kind of thing that you think you know could possibly. Uh, be an athlete's way of using their name, image, and likeness to bring in some dollars? Yeah, I think there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, uh, just, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be kids that are on Twitch playing video games, you know, and, and that's going to be, there's going to be, you know, you can figure out how to, you can figure out how to make money on that. There's going to be kids that have clothing lines. There's going to be kids that, you know, maybe they, 
maybe they're really passionate about uh, an environmental cause or fishing or something like that. Like any way that you can, you can become an ambassador for anything. And that's really like, you know, I mean, this is like, think about all the stuff you see, you know, professional athletes doing at, at professional athletes doing with social media, you know, the stuff you see them promote or the markets that maybe, you know, you don't think of, but um, they have a connection to some way. I mean, I think there's a lot of, you know, there's international students, obviously, that are playing sports in Nebraska, like Daniel Cherney, the freshman punter at Nebraska, he's from Australia, you know, like, he could be making, I, I just anything to think of, a goofy video selling a product back in Melbourne, or Kise Tomonaga when he gets to campus and plays hoops, like, there's obviously a huge market of Japanese sports fans who are paying attention to Japanese athletes who are playing at a high level in the U.S. And so there's just like, it's sort of unlimited, which I think is what makes this such a good deal for athletes in terms of, and, and a natural, like, hey, I mean, anyone else on campus can can do this if they have, you know, a, if there's a market for them to do it. And so athletes should be able to as well. Um, it also is part of what makes it hard to get your arms around what it's going to look like and, you know, how to regulate it to the extent that there's an appetite to regulate it at all. we got a couple minutes left here with Parker Gabriel. We'll move on to our final topic with Parker, which is the college football playoff expansion. The idea is 12 teams, which would give, uh, obviously, eight more teams a shot. And looking back at last year, the bracket would have been really interesting to see pan out. You'd have a couple more Big Ten teams in there. Um, so just kind of a general question for you, Parker. What's your opinion on it? Do you like it? Do you not like it? And, I mean, do you like the idea of group of five teams making it in, making it into the college football playoff? Yeah, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I mean, I'm, I'm a little surprised that they jumped past eight and went to 12. But I, I understand why. Um, you know, it's a, there's a... There's an argument to be got. I mean, I think the idea is that if they were, if you're going to go to eight, there would be some sort of conference championship mandate, right? Like the five power conference champions plus three at larges. One of those at larges at that point almost has to be a group of five team. So think about it this way: if you have five conference champions and a group of five team, but you've got two spots left, like I think you could make the argument that it would be harder for an SEC team that's not a conference champion to get into an 18 playoff under that, under that structure than it would be to get into the, the, the CFP now four teams, right? I mean, it's essentially two at-large spots instead of four. So that, I mean, expansion wasn't going to happen if, if the power conferences weren't on board, and particularly uh, the SEC and so I'm not surprised that the model that they're going to fall on here at 12 teams includes ex- essentially not only expansion, obviously, in the overall number of teams, but in expansion in the number of at-large teams, because that's what actually increases access for the SEC and the Big 12, and to some de- you know, to a degree, the Big 10 and the ACC which are almost always getting at least one team in anyways, you know? So you have to be able to say to your conference membership, like, hey, this makes it 
more realistic for multiple teams from our league to get into the playoffs. It certainly does that uh, in the Big Ten. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's uh, it's going to be exciting. There's a lot of details, obviously, still to iron out on it. Probably won't start uh, for a couple of years here still. But um, it's certainly uh, it's certainly good for for the bottom line. It's going to be good for revenue. And, and it's, I think it's going to be exciting, too. I'm, I'm all for it. Lastly here, quickly, Parker, one thing I'm interested to get your thoughts on. I think uh, with the return of the College World Series to Omaha this summer, the potential change to the college football playoff and the return to March Madness as well, I got to thinking about where I would rank uh, the postseasons for the major college sports. And I really was thinking about the bowl season. I don't even know if it's in my top, you know, four. Uh, Even here when I was thinking, I was like, you know, number one for me is definitely March Madness and the CWS, the return of it this year, made me realize really how special that is. And so that's probably number two. And even to a certain extent, I think I can make an argument that the field of 64 for NCAA volleyball has even more weight to me than the bowl season uh, for college football because it just it doesn't feel like there's a whole lot of stakes in the bowls. At least that's how it feels now. Uh, And so do you think a change to this would, would really improve that for people? I, you know, it seems to me that there's always this kind of warring side of two factions in the traditionalists in college football who think the Bulls are the way it's always been done and that's how it has to be because it's tradition. And the people who say the Bulls don't have any stakes and they're kind of old, let's go to a tradition, a playoff system that everybody else has. Your thoughts on the way I ranked the postseason uh, for these teams and, and do you think a change in the college football playoff system really improves what people think of it generally. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, you know, definitely we're getting further away from the new, you know, the new year's day where it was all about watching the different conferences and the different bowl games, you know, the, 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 the orange bowl is just sort of like, it, it became a thing that, that Nebraska fans in the, in the nineties was like, that was, that was the pit, you know, playing in that game was your path to a national championship. You know, for Big Ten teams, the Rose Bowl has always been the thing. And so you do sort of lose that, that the, the traditional, uh, you know, pageantry, I guess, of the different bowl games, the conference affiliations and all that. Uh, I like the bowl games. I mean, it's always just been, it's always been different in college football that way. And so, you know, I, I, I like them. But, but I think we've gotten to this point where, it's just a little bit. We're just a little bit caught in between where we're trying to preserve the, the, the that nature of the the bigger six bowl games really meaning something and also having a playoff. And so uh, the playoffs certainly is sort of you know continues to creep in in that way, and I think that's continue to happen. But at this point, I mean, there's just there's not really any going back on that. All right, well, that's all the time we have with Parker Gabriel. Parker, thanks so much for joining us to talk about Bill Moose, name, image, and likeness, and the college football playoff. Uh, Have a great rest of your summer. We hope to talk to you soon as football keeps getting closer and closer, but thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. All right, that was Parker Gabriel on Husker Sports Weekly. Gave us some great insight to the Bill Moose retirement, name, image, and likeness, and his thoughts on the new college football playoff system. And Grant and I really haven't had a conversation about that on this show, so I guess we will do that for you right now, give our opinions on the new college football playoff system, um, and if we like it, if we don't like it. uh, But to kick it off, I'm going to say that 
I really enjoy it. I like that they went to 12 teams. Um, I think an expansion was warranted. Uh, it gives more teams a shot. Now, as Parker mentioned, uh, the four-team playoff is really only two at-large bids because you're usually going to have two SEC teams in there. So I thought that was a very good point. Um, and going to 12 teams, I think, is going to work out well. I really hope that is a, a confirmed thing. But um, so far, I'm a, I'm a big fan of it. Um, I know that would have given the Big Ten a little bit more uh, of a representation in the national championship conversation with Indiana last year. And if Northwestern could have snuck in there as well. Uh, I know the rankings didn't work out quite that well for them, but uh, a couple of Big Ten teams were in conversation to make that field of 12. So, uh, Grant, you kind of hinted at, hinted at your opinion before, but uh, how do you feel about the 12-team system? Well, I'm almost curious to hear your thoughts. I, you know, I think it might be a little bit uh, out there for me to say that, you know, that the postseason for college football is like my third or fourth favorite NCAA postseason. But, I mean, your thoughts on... You know, the rankings I've got, obviously, I think we both agree that March Madness is number one, but we might differ a little bit after that. Right, yeah, I agree. I think March Madness is number one. I think it'll always be number one. Um, as a guy who's never really watched the College World Series as like as closely as I did this year with Nebraska being in it, um, I, I will have to say I did enjoy it very much. Um, but at the same time, as a huge football guy, I don't know, that, that might be interchangeable, baseball and football second for me. Um, and then volleyball is probably going to come in last for me just because, uh, again, volleyball kind of new to, to really getting into watching that, that sport at the collegiate level. And I know uh, Grant, Grant is from Omaha, so he, he's a big Husker fan. He's been watching volleyball for years now. So um, I'm still kind of new to that realm of NCAA sports, but um, that was also very entertaining to watch with the Huskers in it as well. So um, I'm going to go basketball one, baseball, football, probably interchangeable at two, um, and then uh, volleyball, a close, I guess, fourth place. Um, but all, all four of them are, are very entertaining to me. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, volleyball is high for me. You know, I, I'm a bit biased on that front. Um and so I do preface it with that. I just, man, like, and to a certain extent, the NCAA and football itself is limited by the physicality of the game. Uh, obviously, you can't do a 64-team football tournament because it's basically in a whole other season at that point, right? Um, so th there's some limit in terms of stakes, quote-unquote. Uh, but currently, man, like, especially the last couple of years during the bowl season, this, there's been basically virtually no stakes, <laughs> like... Uh, I mean, even when you had players start to leave, uh, even two or three or four years ago, who just started to declare for the draft early and just not play in their bowl game. And, you know, I can't really fault them for that because they don't win much other than bragging rights. Uh, and, and, you know, you go through the same old, same old every time. I mean, there's always that argument of SEC's the greatest conference, and then they kind of get wrecked <laughs> by a couple of teams. And, you know, it's more like SEC is the conference that Alabama plays in. I, it's kind of the way I always looked at it. But uh, I, I love the expansion. I, I really, the more, the more teams, the better. Obviously, like I said, you're limited to a certain extent by physicality. Uh, I, I do think 12 is kind of a weird number. Parker's right. Like, I expected 8 first and then maybe 16 at the max. I think 16 is as big as you can go. But 12 feels, like, unnecessarily complicated where you're throwing buys and all sorts of other stuff in there. Um, so we'll see if it sticks. We'll see how they iron out the details. I think, you know, the argument is definitely made that, like, you know, again, like you have this battle between the traditionalists who love the Bulls and the neo college football fans who are all into the playoff. Um, 
in my opinion, the the I'm on the neo college football fan side where I think the first couple of rounds of this thing should be played uh, at at home sites. It should be based off of seating and home sites and not in uh, bowl sites. I, you know, I think the next last couple of rounds could be a rotating set of the New Year's Six like we've always had. Um, but like the fact that you know that people that you know the Alabamas and the SEC teams of the world are claiming that playing football in January is untenable um, is kind of insane, especially when they're thinking about playing it up north and not in a in a uh, in a dome situation. So I think that's probably the most intriguing battle to come is where are these games going to be played um, and who does it you know bring advantage to where or when. But it's a big step in terms of adding some amount of drama and certainty. Uh, and, and stakes into the college football postseason, which I think has been sorely lacking in the last five years or so. Right, and I'm, I'm going to go as far as to say I think I'm kind of stuck in the middle between the new college football playoff and the traditional, the bowl lover, as you would say, because as as you mentioned, the bowls, the, the stakes of, of the bowls have definitely dropped off, especially with the college football playoff being in place and you have to win two games to win the national championship now, and now it's going to be even more games to try and win the national championship. But at the same time, if you're a team trying to get in to the college football playoff, and I'll use Northwestern as an example here as I do so many times on this show, they finished 14th in the AP poll. They were 14th. And they're a team that could have fell into that field of 12. Say the field of 12 was a thing last year. So... In my mind, if you get to a New Year's Six Bowl game that isn't in the college football playoff and you win that New Year's Six Bowl game, at least for me, if I'm a recruit, I'm going to look at that and I'm going to say, oh, this team's really close. Maybe I can be a part of that class that pushes them over the edge and gets them into that field of 12, 8, or 4, whatever it's going to be, and then really have a shot at the national championship. Now, will that happen every single time? No, but I think that's a big contributing factor, say, um, Ohio State, or l- let's use Iowa for example. Say Iowa goes 10-2 and two and just barely misses the playoff, but they win a very good New Year's Six Bowl game. If you're a recruiting class, you're going to say, okay, well, they're super close. Let's try and push them over the edge. And I, I think that's going to catch the eye of a lot of recruits, and especially in a place such as Iowa or Nebraska or in the Midwest where that's really the big show in town. You combine that with name, image, and likeness, I think that could be a huge recruiting pull. That's just my thoughts on the bowl games right now, but um, I do agree with your take. I think the stakes of the bowl games have significantly decreased ever since the CFP was put into place. Well, and I and I think we're at a really great time to be a college sports fan where I think, to a certain extent, the issues and the bureaucracy of the NCAA is certainly weakening, uh, which I think is a good thing in a lot of ways. I think, you know, college sports, with the exception of, of uh you know of college football to in the postseason i think to a certain extent i think all of college sports are in a really good spot um and so you know we kind of stand at the precipice of the end of an era and and but i don't even know if i can even call it that because it's really the beginning of something that is brand new and i and i think in so many ways college sports within two years from now you know are, are going to be especially and, and and especially college football the the way the game works the way recruiting works you know not so much maybe stuff on the field itself and the rules but everything outside of it it, it is going to be almost totally unrecognizable from even 10 years ago right yeah and a, a lot of changes but a lot of good changes i would say and yeah um i 
I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited to see how this pans out. And as a college football fan in general, um, I mean, even if Nebraska isn't in it, which is very likely to happen, um, you, I mean, you and I, we're both going to watch it. We're going to watch it with our friends. A bunch of people in Lincoln are going to watch it because it's college football. It's one of the the most popular things to watch in the United States. So um, I think it'll work out well. Um, I think the bowl games will still have uh, a decent viewership because if your team is in a bowl game, at least they're playing for something. Um, but that's my thoughts on it. 12-team um, playoff, I think it's going to be good. Looking forward to it. Moving on to Husker Hoops, uh, a couple of schedule announcements came out, um, one of which was uh, pretty interesting and I thought was pretty cool, but a charity exhibition versus Colorado on Halloween at noon at Pinnacle Bank Arena, so that's a pretty cool renewal of the rivalry. It doesn't really count for anything on the record, uh, but it's for a good cause. A couple of actual schedule changes, um, games that will count towards the record. The Gavit tip-off games came out in Nebraska will host Creighton on November 16th. And then in the Big Ten ACC Challenge, Nebraska will travel to NC State on December 1st, which is a very intriguing matchup. I'm excited for that one. Um, a lot of people were kind of surprised to see Nebraska and Creighton in the Gavit games because that's usually a separate thing. Um, but these three games, pretty cool to add, um, especially the Colorado one, not one I was expecting, but... Uh, and you're uh, you're missing one more, uh, the addition of Auburn to the schedule as well, uh, and right that was today that was earlier or today as in June thirtieth. So a lot of early season Power Five tests for this group, and I think that's a great thing, especially equipping for the Big Ten. The conference is unlike any other. Obviously, it won't be as strong as it was last year in the regular season, but uh, this young group can really gain some valuable experience from these games. I think it's going to help Fred Hoiberg and his team out a ton. Yeah. I, I, in my opinion, I think the thing that is the most interesting to me is that the quality of these opponents, at least based off of last year is pretty high. Uh, and so I feel like in a lot of ways, coach Hoiberg is saying, okay, we can definitely handle this. We can handle some big challenges. You know, Auburn was, a borderline tournament team that I think they're going to be pretty good next year. Of course, they obviously had a self-imposed postseason ban, I believe, if I remember correctly, last year. So, I, you know, they weren't going to make it anyway. Uh, but, you know, they would have very easily been borderline. I think NC State was also borderline. At least they've been good in the last couple of years. Uh, and then you look at Colorado, though, definitely, even though that game doesn't count on the record, that team is most definitely a tournament team from a year ago and a really solid program. So, that game very intriguing, and then of course Creighton. I mean, Creighton's always on the schedule, but uh, you know I think that's going to be a really good game. It's a little bit earlier in the year than usual, which is uh, interesting to me. And I, but I think that uh, PBA is going to be rocking that night to be sure. Yeah, I believe it's going to be around the third game of the year that Creighton game. And as you mentioned, and I believe, I believe. Sorry to interrupt you, Connor, but that weekend sequence uh, is insane for Husker Athletics uh, because I'm pretty sure that weekend is Wisconsin week for, for the football team. You got that game uh, against Creighton for the basketball team, and the volleyball has a pretty big series as well. I'm trying to remember who it, it, it's against, but they all three have huge, huge uh, series that weekend. Well, yeah, that, that'll be a super exciting weekend for Husker Athletics, and um, there's also Kansas State on the schedule. Um, that's been on the schedule for a little bit now, but um, 
a, a lot of Power 5 teams for this team, and we'll take a quick look at the Big Ten ACC Challenge, just the rest of the matchups around the conference. You have Iowa and Virginia, so the Iowa at Virginia, Florida State at Purdue, Minnesota at Pitt, uh, Clemson at Rutgers, Virginia Tech at Maryland, Miami at Penn State, Wisconsin at Georgia Tech, then you have Notre Dame at Illinois, Indiana at Syracuse, Duke at Ohio State, Northwestern at Wake Forest, Louisville at Michigan State, Michigan at North Carolina, and then obviously Nebraska at NC State. And a matchup that really jumps out here to me, and I'm, I'm going to kind of go outside kind of the main headliner, which is Duke at Ohio State. Indiana-Syracuse is one that really interests me out of this field of matchups. Grant, what's one that stands out to you? Yeah, that one's definitely a big one. I, I like that one a lot. Uh, Indiana, I think, you know, is a team that was obviously on the edge last year. Syracuse uh, made a huge push uh, during the, the tournament, as they, you know, they always tend to do. Um, but, you know, I, I like that one a lot. That one definitely ranks up there. The Duke one, that definitely ranks up there. Uh, I You know, North Carolina-Michigan seems really interesting to me. Obviously, you know, new head coach. In a, uh, after Roy Williams for like the first time and feels like like forever, uh, so that that one's very interesting. And, and where's Michigan at? You know, a lot of those teams, you know, in the ACC and the Big Ten, you're like, gosh, I really don't know how these teams are going to pan out. And you know, Duke and Coach K's last year, that game obviously is really intriguing. Uh, but I I think I'm almost more interested in the Michigan North Carolina. Uh, area because man like those North Carolina teams have kind of underperformed the last couple of years and you know Michigan lost some pieces so that to me I think is really really interesting and and all of these games I think even to a certain extent provide some interest even Notre Dame Illinois uh, to start things off the same night as Iowa and Virginia uh, that one's very very intriguing as well because Notre Dame is a team that in years past has been a a team that could make some pushes from time to time in the tournament. And where does Illinois fall after that disappointing and early exit uh, during March Madness earlier this year? Yeah, great questions surrounding uh, this year. Illinois losing a lot of pieces. Iowa losing Luka Garza. Um, Ohio State returning a lot of guys. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Duke is this year after their struggles last year. And also, as you mentioned, new coach with North Carolina. Been pretty underperforming the last couple of years. And how's Wisconsin going to be this year? They lost a right. lot of guys. So, Lots of questions surrounding both conferences with both of their teams. And we'll take a quick look at the Gavit games as well. Uh, you have Providence at Wisconsin, Illinois at Marquette, Seton Hall at Michigan, Creighton at Nebraska, Michigan State at Butler, St. John's at Indiana, Ohio State at Xavier, and Rutgers at DePaul. So any games that stick out to you there, Grant? You know, I know you're a DePaul fan, but Rutgers-DePaul is kind of interesting to me too. It's another Big Ten team in Rutgers uh, that – you know, that that's kind of interesting. Where does Rutgers fall? I mean, like, you know, so many of these teams, I think year to year in college basketball, it's very hard to find a team that you can point out and say, you know what, they made a push last year. Uh, they didn't quite get there, but they're going to be back next year and they're going to be really good. I, it's hard, I think, to pick out a team like that. I think if I had to pick one this year, it probably would be UCLA uh, to be that team. Um, but you know, I, I think the most interesting thing to me in these early series, of course, the Big Ten ACC Challenge, the 29th of November through December 1st, uh, and the Gavit games, obviously, pretty early are literally the tip-off games. Uh, but who jumps out in here? Who, who's going to be the team that just comes out of nowhere and, and you're like, wow, that's not a team that I thought was going to be really good to start uh, the year. But man, are they something that's really impressive. You know, Michigan and Illinois, really both, 
would be examples of two of those teams that nobody was really talking about at the beginning of the year, and they came on incredibly strong. Uh, and obviously, unfortunately, didn't make a huge impact in the postseason, um, but were really, really strong regular season contenders. Now, I'm going to agree with you and be a little bit biased here. I'm going to go with Rutgers at DePaul as well. Rutgers, a team that a lot of people held very highly on, on the pedestal early in the year, and they really didn't deliver as much as you thought they would. Obviously, still a tournament team, but sneaking, isn't, sneaking in as a 10 um, showed struggles down the stretch. I mean, at one point, I believe they were 7-5. and five. So a team that was once within the top 12 uh, really dropped off. So Rutgers, uh, big question marks surrounding them. How are they going to be, as you mentioned, uh, Illinois and Michigan as well? Um, and I, honestly, Creighton and Nebraska is, is a pretty interesting one too. And I mean, we're a Husker podcast. So how's Nebraska going to be this year with all the new additions and keeping your core group for the first time in Fred Hoiberg's tenure here with the Huskers? That's going to be interesting to see how they pan out and how is Creighton going to be after last year? Right. I mean, Creighton's brought in a really good recruiting class. And I'm, in my opinion, you know, we I know we've talked privately about this, but I, I, I don't think Delano Banton's coming back. I, I think just from the positive buzz that I've heard and seen uh, about his abilities and what, what he's been able to put on at the, in the combine and the G League camps uh, for the NBA, I don't, I don't think Delano Banton's coming back. So the Huskers might not actually retain their core, uh, as we once thought, um, which is crazy because, you know, even the idea of Delano uh, putting his name in for the draft back in – uh, you know, a month ago was totally off the wall, but here we are. Yeah, it'll be uh, interesting to see how uh, he goes about that process. It's great to see him doing well at the at the draft. Yeah, no combine. kidding. Yeah. So good for him. I mean, he's been playing extremely good basketball um, out in Chicago for the NBA draft combine. So lots of questions surrounding college basketball. We're still a ways away from college basketball, um, college football. Less than 60 days away from week zero, Nebraska at Illinois. We'll keep the countdown going with you throughout the summer and into the fall on Husker Sports Weekly. We have a couple of pretty awesome guests coming up later this year as well as we get towards football season. Um, So be on the lookout and some really exciting stuff coming up for you later. So that'll do it for us on episode Number 48, we had Parker Gabriel on, the man who broke the news about Bill Moose. Uh, So we talked about that. We talked about name, image, and likeness, the college football playoff expansion, and Nebraska basketball with their new schedule edition. So thanks so much for tuning in. This was episode 48 of Husker Sports Weekly. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Husker Weekly. Find our show on Spotify. Just search Husker Sports Weekly in the search bar and follow Grant and I on Twitter at C underscore Clark underscore 27 and at Hanson 15 underscore Hanson. Once again, thanks so much for tuning in and we will be back with more Husker content next week. Go Big Red.